Hello, and welcome to the Young Buck and Old Goat Podcast. I'm the Old Goat Daniel, and joining me today is... The Young Buck Kazi. Here on the Young Buck and Old Goat Podcast, we're going to highlight and discuss some of the important developments in the world of digital assets and cryptocurrencies. And take a look back at the major price movements from the past week and discuss potential plays for the upcoming week. And as always, this production is presented for educational and entertainment purposes only. And nothing said here should ever be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you always do your own research. And please like and subscribe and rate us five stars. It really helps us reach more people, and we'd be eternally grateful. Welcome to all of our listeners on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever else you may be hearing us to episode number three. We're going to take a look back at the week ending March 6th, 2022. We're going to highlight some of the plays we've discussed in our Discord group and discuss many of the fundamental catalysts and events that are shaping our world and things for us to keep an eye on. Kazi, my friend, how are the markets this past week? Yeah, so um, the, this past week, the the market has been qu- quite crazy, to be fair. Like um, the weekly close uh, on the charts has been quite nasty. Uh, we saw that huge wick from Bitcoin going down to that, uh, from like that 45k region and getting batted down and closing around 38k. Um, yeah, that was that was actually quite crazy because I did see a lot of people um, starting to get quite bullish around that 45k region calling for another bull market and then... It just changed in like a couple of days. So yeah, that was not great. Uh, yeah, but watching the charts right now, I'm not, I'm not bearish or bullish currently. Uh, as I just want to see what happens, like regarding the, uh, the FUD, uh, and from the news or like if there's any catalyst coming from any countries or I don't know, like some investments coming from like a specific institution, stuff like that. But. For now, I think uh, for me, Bitcoin is definitely in like a gray area. It looks like it's uh, just creating a range. So for now, I'm just simply just trading the range. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's uh, we're, we're we're so dependent on the news cycle right now that it's uh, <laughs> it, it's hard to go just strictly off of uh, price action. Yeah, for sure. Like it's, I think we're we're seeing a lot of things that. Like we don't usually see in the market, so it's it's just changing quite a bit. So you just need to be quite like on top of your risk management and stuff, especially if you're trading. But yeah, um, looking well, at and that's a, you brought up another good point is the the, the quickness of which you see people <clears throat> go fully bullish or fully bearish based on two to three percent movement in Bitcoin is uh, it's it's very disingenuous and and yeah. once again. For everyone out there listening, don't get sucked into the hype one way or the other. Always try to keep a level head. The level yeah. head, you can survive in this market. 
you suck into the hype, you're going to get, you're going to become exit liquidity on one side of the trade. For sure. And like, uh, also adding to like what Daniel said, um, you should probably just be looking to like learn how to chart yourself and like learn to see like different indicators that could uh, show you like signals of a top or a bottom because like a lot of people uh, on like, uh, like social media, as Daniel said, they want to use you as ex exit liquidity. So you want to be against that and you want to like basically just be using your own brain to be fair. Uh, but I was looking at large caps, um, from the past week and I just want to say that, um, Terra Luna has definitely outdone like majority of the large cap, uh, caps in this market. Cause, um, like most of the coins have lost like 50% of their value from their all time high. And if you look at Luna, it's only down like, uh, I think 20% from the all time high of like 108 ish dollars. So, and now it's currently at like $82. Um, so, Compared to like Ethereum and like other coins, which are down like 50%, like Luna holding up against this like Bitcoin beating down all the way from like 64k, uh, a 69k, sorry. It's, it's actually quite, it look, it's quite strong. But yeah, other large caps, they're just very correlated to Bitcoin and moving up and down with Bitcoin. So Luna's, uh, having a very good, uh, relative strength against Bitcoin. But yeah. Uh, also, uh, mid caps, we saw waves getting a huge pump this week. Uh, I think ma the majority of the reason for this happening was because it's being, it's available on a lot of, uh, Russian exchanges. Uh, and also it's a Russian coin as well. So it has outdone most of the mid caps uh, in the market. And I've seen a lot of people, uh, making a lot of money just by uh, leverage trading waves. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if, <laughs> That's what's, you know, as the world is kind of picking sides right now, it's going to be interesting to see how that does affect the crypto space for sure. I didn't know that about Waves. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's something I just learned recently as well myself. I didn't, I didn't be able, I wasn't able to catch on to the train of Waves. So I was actually quite sad about that, but you know, we move. Um, also, uh, QNT Quant. It's, it's actually been this past week. It has been quite strong regard to uh relative strength against bitcoin and has shown some decent strength like while i i mean it is quite down from the all-time high but against bitcoin this past week like i would say it's been one of the more uh stronger coins am i going to buy it right now though uh probably not i'm just waiting for my entry at 50 dollars. i don't know if i get it or not but you know it's definitely it's definitely done well this past week uh also uh daniel have you heard of marshall rogan inu i've i i actually have seen that yeah yeah uh, have you seen the amount of gains that people have made from that coin it's actually been crazy like no you know what i haven't looked at a chart on it yet i only know it just because i actually know some mma fighters and so they're you know they're always uh they're always pumping out. We've got uh one friend who's huge in the uh XMR community, the Monero community. Yeah. Um but uh but yeah, I haven't I haven't actually watched the chart, but it's they've certainly got the celebrity and you know, if for that little niche market, they've got the celebrity endorsement, that's for sure. Yeah, I remember I was watching um UFC and like literally like the commentators were like shout out to Marshall Rogan Inu. So I was like, wow, they're actually making some big moves. Also saw someone on Twitter, he was I think he made like two K nearly into like a million dollars. So 
it's it's made some life changing game uh, gains for some people just from a dog coin, and we're seeing like the dog meme coins, uh, like gaining some more traction, like we did with like Shiba Inu and Dogecoin, um, like well, quite a few months ago. Uh, even like meme coins, like there's other coins like Air and a uh, Heal and stuff like that. There's some coins like not a lot of people are talking about, but they're doing some crazy, crazy gains. Um, I actually did ape into a meme coin to be fair. It was called Tweenu. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a dog coin, but you know what? Me and a few members of the Discord server, we, we aped into it. I think we made around six X in a day. So to be honest, <laughs> it was, it was, it was something great. Yeah, I'd like to, uh, if, if we can reference back to the beginning of the podcast, this is not financial advice. Please do your own research. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Especially if it's a meme coin, guys. I, man, like, uh, last summer when, when they were really popping off, there was a bunch of them I jumped in and out of. And like looking back, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm lucky I came out ahead because so many of them were such garbage, you know, uh, just, you look at it and it's, it's the only thing that differentiated it from anything else was the logo of the token, right? That's it. Um, especially on Binance chain, right? Binance really, it's, it's people just pop coins on there all the time. But yeah, hey, you know, if you can make money and then, and then put it in something that, uh, that actually does attempt to solve a problem, then awesome. And maybe there's, uh, the, the Rogan Inu one does, right? Um, you know, I mean, if they're, you know, they seem to have a strong community. So that might actually be, uh, that might actually be something that, that survives, right? I mean, it's, yeah, the, the community is what makes something survive. Um, For and sure. so if those guys all really stick to that and it actually does help people out, you know, I mean, I think with the, the advent of kind of meme coins, it's still a very new type of thing. If meme coins can become an sort of an avenue to affect change in some way, that may be their utility, right? So if it's to help out the MMA fighters, to if there's a meme coin that comes out for refugees, or or yeah, you know, then then great, right? That that's I'm all for that. If it's just another copy of another coin <laughs> um, that does nothing but has you know, hey, that the, the Developers promise that they're going to dox themselves in, you know, once we get uh, 5 billion locked up in uh, total value lockups. No. Okay. Whatever. Um. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that's probably what's going to happen. Like with um, like the meme coins, cause there's another one called heal, like heal the world token. I'm pretty sure like they're helping people in like another country. So like I think the 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 utility, as you would say, of like these meme coins is probably just going to be like some sort of like help or like partnering with like some some sort of out out. I don't even know what, how to explain it to be honest, but you you know what I mean. And yeah, no, the the thing where my mind automatically goes is that um, one of the kind of check boxes people look for in new projects is have they been audited? Well, the dark secret is, is that there's a lot of places where you can get an auditing stamp, right? Um, yeah. People, you know, we, I could start a company up this afternoon that says I audit smart contracts. Doesn't necessarily mean that audit's worth anything, but if there does become some sort of self-regulating mechanism that, 
not only is the contract audited to say prevent rug pools or, or, or uh, liquidity draining, things like that, but also if the auditing um, can then extend to, um, you know, proof of, you know, distribution of funds to whatever kind of charitable or, or, or project it's supposed to be uh, tied to that would, that I think could be a, a very necessary step for the, the growth of this market. You just have to, you know, you have to find people that are uh, willing to put their name on it and their reputation, stake their reputation on something. Um, yeah. And that's not always easy to do. That's why something like red cross has been around forever. Yeah. Even though I'm sure there's, sure there's examples of Red Cross not acting, uh, with the, the, the best fiduciary, uh, commitments. However, by and large, everyone knows and trusts their, you know, when they see that, that seal on, on something or, or UNICEF or something like that, right? It's, it's, yeah, you know, if, true. if we do move into that kind of, a um, that, that social, um, I don't want to say social justice, but that social, uh, the social good aspects of these kind of projects, there'll need to be some sort of, uh, quality rating to them, um, more so than just some random, uh, code verification that somebody's doing. Yeah, for sure. And I, I like one thing that you said that even if they're like audited and stuff like that, they may still not be legit because, um, there, there was one ecosystem that was made, I think, on Atom or something it was it was like an old project and we've seen a lot of them like rug recently um they got kyc'd and people thought they were legit and then they just come out with a tweet oh we found an error with our contract and can't um continue with the project and that was like i think half an hour after launch so that was that was quite sad for a lot of people who invested but it's just something that you guys should know uh if you're like thinking oh look this company's kyc'd if they it, like you need to make sure like these guys are quite trusted before you want to get into like if you want to throw in quite a lot of money especially money like like when people say you, when you're investing into crypto you want to put in money you can only afford to lose so that's definitely imperative when it comes to those type of things yeah for sure and and even the the when when you listen to especially the guys that just get into crypto and they put a, a huge amount of um, faith in the concept of dox of somebody being doxed, and and that gives an air of legitimacy. Well, catfishing has been around for a while, right? You can throw up any picture of yourself and make a fake LinkedIn profile if you want, and then all of a sudden, oh yeah, that person's doxed. Yeah, they're no, that doesn't mean anything, um, you know. So there's. <laughs> People really want to believe, and I get that, right? It's it's especially when you first get into the space, it's very exciting, it's new, um, and and you want to be part of that that next project that's going to hundred x or whatever. But just you know, realize that that by and large, a lot of it, especially with the low caps, man, a lot of it's gambling, and you got to uh, you you really do need to take the time to do research and uh, doing a Twitter search for the token name um, and seeing lots of people like it is not necessarily just doing yeah. your own research yeah that's that's 100 percent true i agree with that but uh yeah one more one more low cap i want to mention and i mentioned it last week on uh the podcast as well uh it was uh, zkt uh, Z uh, zk tube protocol 
uh, they they had they had great news um, announced. They announced ZK Meta, which is going to be the first layer two in the metaverse. So, like, I'm pretty sure a lot of people have like bought into this project now, especially um, after this announcement, because they're going to be like the main protocol used for like uh, layer two compatibility within the metaverse. So. Yeah, I think it's pulled around like a 3x in the past week. So if you guys listened in last week and decided to do your research on ZK Protocol, um, it was actually uh, quite a big move. And currently, I think it's seeing around $20 now. So it, it should it should be a project that you guys want to listen um, look into because I do believe it's got a very, very bright future ahead. And also you want to carry on listening because there's going to be another absolute gem I'll be talking about later on in the podcast. But Hey, Daniel, um, that's an overview of the past week. What have you been watching in the news cycle? Um, well, like I, I mentioned last week, right, uh, the Russia-Ukraine Russia, Russia Ukraine conflict is going to continue to dominate. It is still dominating. But the thing I wanted to highlight, like, like we're not going to get into, you know, specific battles, refugee status. These are the, – this is uh, – that's that's – Items better spent on a a different podcast than this. Um, we're looking at how these things affect, you know, the crypto market specifically. But but what I was kind of what I've been kind of looking at this week is the the changing relationships of businesses during this conflict. And what we're seeing is, and and I'm not I'm not necessarily casting judgment, but I think it's a big change people need to realize is the role of businesses acting on behalf of governments um, and imposing their own sanctions, right? So we saw this start a little bit, at least over here in the United States, we definitely saw this, um, where the government would come out and, you know, issue a mandate or an executive order and then the businesses would just all fall in line and that was a very very new kind of thing for us over here because you know normally businesses would look out for we'll say their own self-interest first um and if if the government was overreaching the business community was very quick to fight back well you know, and perhaps it's just the nature of of the the threat of a pandemic that that relationship changed, and businesses, you know, saluted and did what as they were told. Now, a lot of those government issued mandates and executive orders were struck down by the courts as being unconstitutional. Uh, so, you know, whether it was vaccine mandates or closing up shop or or, or whatever. Um, and I think we're gonna there, there'll probably be more court action, but so we saw the start of it there, but now with Ukraine and Russia, it has it's kind of dialed up far more than I ever thought it would. Um, we have seen this past week Visa and Mastercard stop payment processing for certain Russia banks. Now this, of course, led a lot of these Russian banks right into the waiting arms of Union Pay, which is. Um, a Chinese uh, payment uh, processor, um, which, you know, as of last week was like the second fastest growing in the world. I'm sure it is now the fastest growing and will, you know, start threatening Visa and MasterCard very soon. Uh, I think American Express followed suit. 
We've seen Netflix, OnlyFans, uh, Volkswagen. I mean, there's a huge list of businesses that is now sanctioning Russia and kind of specifically the citizens of Russia for the actions of Russia's government. Um, and, and if you study history, not only is this kind of a, a new way of doing a, a new, um, way of acting among the business community, but like in America, we had, you know, we had Ford Motor Company that had no problem selling engines to the Nazis during World War II, right? You know, this, as we were actively fighting in World War II. Um, and I'm not saying that was correct either, but it, it just shows how much um, businesses have changed and are taking, I don't want to say, it's not really an activist stance, but but aligning themselves with the governmental sanctions, right? Um, one of the bigger ones, or, I mean, a lot of the sanctions are bad. Um, Maersk, the shipping company, is... Uh, is is stopping all shipments, I guess, to and from Russia. They'll probably they probably have an exception for uh, oil and gas or energy products. I would imagine um, Microsoft Office three sixty five. Now, Kazi, imagine you're you know you don't just buy a Microsoft Office CD yeah. anymore, right? You sign up for Office three sixty five, and it's a subscription service, right? Software as yeah. a service. Um, and now all of a sudden, next week, if you're some Russian accountant in the middle of the country that has nothing to do with this, you can't open up Excel anymore, right? Like this is, yeah. this is going to really, really, I mean, truly impact, truly impacting. So, um, this is very different. And, and, and so then I started looking at, at, okay, well, that's overall business and that's impacting enough. Now let's take a look at crypto. Um, Wait, um, I just, I just want to, I just want to ask you a quick, quick question. Sure, sure. Think, um, a lot of people have this question as well. Like, what do you think? Uh, oh, sorry about that. Uh, what do you think uh, Russia is going to do? Like, uh, like, wouldn't this mean like Russia would either like retaliate in like a very, very harsh way, or? Um... So I don't think you can be on intellectually honest and say that we're not already at war. Right? We are, we are taking actions. And we, I mean, kind of everyone that's not Russia, um, we are taking actions that is directly either targeted or impacting the regular non-combatant civilian of Russia, right? And and that's, um, you know, I'm I'm just generally very anti-war as as being sure, a, yeah. a former military veteran, right? It's it's you want to find somebody that's really anti-war. Usually, the veterans will tell you how bad it can be. Um, it, so, so we are already engaged in actions that could very easily be seen as at a minimum of economic warfare. And if say those shipping lines are also no longer bringing in medical supplies that are ordered by Russian hospitals somewhere right now, you know, we're, we're creating a humanitarian crisis. Now, again, this is not a, I don't say this as as a way to excuse the invasion of Ukraine. I'm I'm really trying to kind of be down the middle on this. I think it's it's anytime there's loss of life, it's a horrible thing, and so I just kind of want to see it stop. Um, it, it's un, 
unfortunately, though, politicians, this is in the hands of politicians and, and a very small group of humans around a negotiating table. So, so as far as what happens next, it's, I kind of don't think anything happens until China really gets involved and says what's going to happen. I don't think the U.S. has the uh, clout, moral standing, whatever you want to call it, um, to move the needle very much on this, other than what we've already done, right? Um, other than the, the massive amount of sanctions, and those are largely private sector sanctions, which is, yeah. again, I, I think a, a very, very... Um, kind of uh, a very large development that I, I think we're kind of glossing over as everyone lines up, you know, to, to, to pick sides here. Um, if, Ch- if China comes out and says, you know, enough with these sanctions, you're hurting one of, you know, you're hurting our biggest customers, then I can see things starting to, to slow down. I did see today that the Ukraine or that uh, Germany and the Netherlands have opposed uh, Ukrainian membership into the EU. I don't see how anyone gets into the EU without German support. Um, you know, by and large, there's a good argument to be made that the EU is Germany. So, you know, I, I think we're still very much kind of, uh, you know, a lot, there's, there's a lot of potential outcomes. I don't think that a clear path is presenting itself to, uh, stopping this conflict, so it, it's it's hard for me to say what's going to happen. Um, I think right now one of the one of the probably uh, maybe most likely outcomes is that support within Russia for this um, could start to push the needle more than anything else. Right? Like I said, if if you've got people all over the country that all of a sudden can't, you know, kind of can't function, whether it's, you know, through use of their computer, through use of Google Pay, they're being cut off from revenue streams. Um, there's I, there's going to be a backlash, right? Um, hitting the banking sector the way it's hit. I, you know, I, I don't see how this could uh, have a Russian people that maybe don't have an appetite for this uh, invasion. And I'm sure some do, right? Um, but the the I have several friends in Russia and several of them are actually, you know, used to or came from the Ukraine. Um, there's there is quite a bit of uh, social cohesion amongst normal people. Right. This isn't I'm not talking about the intelligentsia or the, um, you know, the political class. I, I don't care about them. But as far as normal people, they very seldom have an appetite for this type of thing. So. You know, it, it, it depends, you know, it kind of depends to see what the normal people of Russia, if they can help end this. Um, but, you know, it's, it's you know, Putin has never been, uh, no, nobody's ever accused Putin of being a man of the people who is, uh, sure, yeah. you know, who, who bends to uh, political winds, right? That's just not, that's not Vladimir Putin, so, but... <laughs> So yeah, I wish I could give you a, a better answer. This is really unprecedented. Like I said, with, with the private sector stepping in the way that they are, that to me is is a is a very interesting development. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen exchanges freezing um, Russian crypto assets. Um, 
And this is, you know, the, the, the picture people have in their mind of the Russian oligarch that's, you know, going to hide his few billion in Bitcoin or whatever. And then, you know, go down to St. Bart's and, and, uh, pull it out of an exchange there. That's, yeah, that might happen every now and then, but it's, it's more likely than not going to be kind of like your, your middle class or your, uh, you know, upper middle class, uh, developers that are just, you know, maybe they've got, uh, 150 ETH or something like that, right? Which is a yeah. good chunk of change. Um, but now they don't have access to it. And you're also, you know, when, when you start kind of picking fights with Russians that know their way around computers, I see this is escalating, right? There's, there's no shortage of, of Russians that know how to handle a keyboard. Um, so I think, I think we're going to see cyber attacks on the rise, whether they're state sponsored or not. Right. Like if you if you know how to affect cyber warfare and you know that your family is now unable to get funds that you could give them because, you know, you've got those funds, but you can't get them off an exchange. You are now going to view whoever's doing these sanctions as a combatant and you are going to defend yourself and defend your property the same way as if you would defend yourself if somebody invaded your country, right? Um, and so I think there's going to be a lot of uh, what I would call second tier um, or second order consequences yeah. uh, that, that, that honestly, politicians very rarely give a crap about. Um, but <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if you start seeing uh, uh, cyber hacking ratcheted up to a new level. Um, which again, buy a ledger, people buy a ledger or a trezor or something to get your, get your funds off of exchanges. They're not doing you any good there, but just waiting to be drained. Um, and so, so in, so we, so like I said, we've seen, um, assets on exchanges frozen for Russians, Switzerland who, you know, throughout the movie, you know, all the movies and books, you know, it was, the the good guys and the bad guys would always transfer their money into unnamed Swiss bank accounts because Switzerland yeah. was neutral. And well, that's not happening anymore, right? Switzerland is now looking at freezing all those assets too. Um, and so Switzerland has, has, you know, is, is not the, the neutral safe haven that it was. Uh, MetaMask and OpenSea are blocking users based on their geographic location. Now, OpenSea, I, I've, I have no love loss for OpenSea, especially after this past month of watching them <laughs> continually just prove to them, prove to the world why they should not be trusted with anyone's funds. Um, but MetaMask I thought was interesting. And now this has to do with Infuria owning a, a percentage of MetaMask's intellectual property. So you think of MetaMask as being, you know, uh, completely decentralized. Well, I think we're all learning that decentralized does not mean what we thought decentralized means. And uh, MetaMask, I thought was really interesting because this kind of brings in Ethereum to it, right? I mean, it's yeah, yeah you'd be hard pressed to talk about uh, like like MetaMask would not be popular if it was not for Ethereum. And Ethereum doesn't matter if it's not for Vitalik Buterin. <laughs> and Vitalik Buterin. Of you know Vitalik, right? This is not a, this is not Irishman Vitalik, okay? This is <laughs> this is Vitalik, who is has very clearly stated that you know he is very much still Russian. He has had no problem 
uh, interacting even up with the the government of Russia. And, you know, hey, Vitalik Buterin can do what he wants. But we also know Ethereum, for as decentralized as it is in some ways, Vitalik still has a tremendous amount of influence on that entire ecosystem. Um, and so this will be, I, I'm, I'm kind of anticipating we may see a, a push of what we'll call truly decentralized, right? Because I think we're finding out that a lot of the things we assumed were decentralized are not that decentralized. If, especially MetaMask really surprised me, right? That is so many people rely on that. Um, and, and now to know that if you are in a specific geographic location, all of a sudden your MetaMask is not going to work. I think you're going to see a, a stronger push towards, uh, maybe these, these type of services being hosted in, and who knows, it could be very small countries, somewhere Maldives or something, um, mm. that, that aren't taking sides in these things and are, uh, you know, are, are realizing that politics is politics, nation states do what nation states do. Uh, the reason you're in crypto is not because you're necessarily rooting for one nation over another. It's because you're trying to secure your own financial future. And the, there's a, a great likelihood you have nothing to do with the war. And so you shouldn't be punished. Um, but yeah, Daniel, uh, yeah. Uh, do you, what do you think though? Do you think like this is ethically like fine for these, uh, for like these countries to be bound? Because like, as you said, like decentralized has just changed its meaning. And to be honest, like I, it, like I don't think it's like, uh, for like a normal person anyways, I don't think it's their fault if they're like directly from like one country, because I saw, um, someone on Twitter as well. Um, I think they were born in a specific country. I'm not going to say the country because I can't remember, but even though they weren't resi uh, like living in that country, uh, they still weren't able to access their Binance account. E Although they were, I think they were living in Portugal, and um, so like, what would you what do you think of this? Like, yeah, that's awful. Effort? I mean, you know, honestly, I'm generally very against sanctions, um, for for many reasons. Um, the main being is that it hurts the bottom rungs of society more so than it hurts the actual policymakers. Uh, the policymakers in every society are the wealthiest and they're the ones that have the ability to get around sanctions, right? Um, and so when you sanction someone, it, like, like we, the U.S. has been sanctioning Iran for forever. Um, is Iran any different now because of those sanctions? No. Their country is poor. The rich elites still have all the power and they're still doing what they want and their grasp or their grip on control has not changed at all. So, you know, I understand the thought process behind sanctions. I could maybe see an argument for targeted sanctions of specific individuals, but I, you know, when you have these large sweeping uh, sanctions of anyone based on where they happen to exit a womb at on the planet uh that's you know whether you want to call it bullying or you know there's i'm sure we can come up with a list of adjectives it's it does nothing but punish people that it's punishing them for 
for something they had absolutely nothing to do with. Yeah. Um, and, and I've had lots of people from every side of the aisle you can imagine think I'm uh, a monster for saying that, but you know, it's look, we sanction people and they're still, you know, their their country's governments are still doing horrible things. And that's, I think something people forget is that a country is its people. The government of that country sometimes reflects its people. More often than not, does not reflect the will of its people. The countries are are nearly always filled with good, decent, hardworking people. Governments are nearly always filled with horrible garbage humans that see everyone else as pawns on a chessboard. So that that might be my own uh, <laughs> my own my, you know a little bit too much of my own feelings creeping in there. But but yeah, that's. That's that's my answer. No, I do not think it's ethical. Yeah. But it, you know, when when I'm, you know, we're talking about this and like I said, the the changing nature of decentralized, you know, let's we'll, we'll take a we'll take a, a quick step back in the in the uh our our time machine here. So we're in the crypto space. What created the crypto space? It was largely the great financial crisis of like 2007, 8, 9, right? Mortgages everywhere blew up. Mm-hmm. And if anyone out there that's listening has not seen The Big Short, please oh, go watch that movie. It is What's a movie. It is an amazing movie. I have watched it way too many times myself, but absolutely phenomenal movie. So it was but it was those events that led to this, the famous uh, Satoshi Nakamoto peer-to-peer payment system, um, Bitcoin white paper, right? Um, and that's what led to that development um, because he saw that that regular people were getting destroyed by the uh, central banks and and the shenanigans that Wall Street and governments get up to. That's still happening. Um, and so looking at that, that's why I think we will see kind of a new, I'm hoping I should say this, this might be a little bit of hopium on my part. This, <laughs> we might see a new decentralized, um, um, products come out, right? Things, things that oh, we saw earlier too, right? Um, Andre Cogne, uh, yeah. decided he, he's going to quit. Um, Andre and Anton Nell, they've decided they're going to close the chapter of their life where they're, um, uh, uh, developing for, for DeFi spaces. And, and they did, these guys did urine finance. They did keeper. They did multi-chain chain list. Um, uh, the, the bribe CRV, you know, these guys were, were kind of, you know, uh, love them or hate them. They were very large in the industry. And when they announced they were stepping away, you automatically saw this big sell-off in in uh, in a lot of those tokens, right? Because, yep. and, and I think we've seen that in in the node space too, where yeah. you've got one or two people that are in charge of this this massive multi-million, sometimes billion-dollar treasury. Well, what happens if that guy gets hit by a bus, right? And he's not even doxxed. And then, okay, I guess we're just going to be only invested in that, you know, the things that 
that we're invested in forever. So I, I think we've still got a long way to go before we, we can really claim to be truly decentralized in a lot of the spaces in crypto. They're, they're, the assumption that all crypto is decentralized is false. It is, I think we're a lot closer to um, the CBDC style of, uh, of crypto, if you can call that crypto, uh, than we are the original decentralized vision of um, Satoshi Nakamoto. And I think, I think there's a few protocols that, that have that decentralized, um, that true decentralized spirit. Um, mm-hmm. Like I mentioned Monero earlier, you've got yeah. Panther Protocol, uh, Haven. These guys, these guys are really pushing towards towards a real decentralized future. They don't have the the exposure that, um, say, some of these other some of these other projects get um, because the other projects are centralized, right? Like, I mean, yeah. Consensus really runs the Ethereum blockchain. Um, you know, whether it's it's what tasks they or or what projects they decide to fund for development, the amount of tokens that the owners of consensus have locked up. There's 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 a lot of centralization. Um, and I think you should be able to talk about these things without necessarily being labeled a fudster. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but I do think that there's there's <laughs> there's a lot we need to like like really take into consideration and be honest with ourselves about this space. Um, now what I want to do here is let's connect some dots. All right. Um, the government and media, right? So they decide on whatever we'll say the, the new important thing that we should all look at is, you know, call it a crisis, call it whatever, whether it's the, you know, over here in the States, we had uh, election integrity or, you know, we had one party accusing another party of destroying um, the, the foundations of democracy. And you can really interchange either party for either part of that sentence. They both accuse the other party of doing it. Right. Um, then we had the COVID crisis. Now we are in Ukraine and, and we are all, you start seeing that the government and the media is marching in lockstep um, to push whatever that specific, well, you want to call it agenda, narrative, whatever, whatever that is. They, they, there's very little aberration as far as as um, uh, any kind of thought that you know, or people having kind of those free thoughts. Yeah, and like. As you were saying, like, you, there's so many crises that's been happening. So, like, it's just, it, like, it just leaves, leaves the mind to wonder, like, what's going to be the next crisis? And, like, well, yeah, that's where we're going, my friend. Let me continue. <laughs> uh, let's continue to connect these dots. Um, so when you do get an opinion that's outside of that mainstream narrative, it's now you start getting people that are shadow banned or they get censored or they get a fact checking flag put on their post or, or whatever it is. Right. But, but if you are not parroting that, that, uh, uh, you know, the agreed upon narrative, you're somehow an aberration. You are, you are an other that needs to be dismissed. Okay. So the question is, like you said, what is the next crisis? I think Kazi, this is 
just my opinion, but I yeah. believe the next crisis is going to be twofold and somewhat interrelated. I believe it is going to be uh, energy and yeah. climate. Now, that might seem kind of obvious in some ways, but the energy crisis, we're almost watching it play out in real time, right? Gas is yeah. spiking, oil, you know, WTI futures is spiking. Um, we're, we can also add uh, a food crisis in there, but Definitely. There's very little that can be done to create food that doesn't exist. Um, energy, on the other hand, there's actually a lot we could be doing right now to solve the energy crisis that we're just refusing to for political reasons. Um, I think oil is going to continue to climb. I think you're going to start seeing, even in developed countries, you're going to start seeing rolling blackouts. You're going to start seeing restrictions to conserve power, um, things that you saw in, oh, I've got little kids calling me, uh, things that you saw in, say, South Africa over the yeah. past decade uh, that, that became commonplace, that, that weren't commonplace before. Um, now, what does that mean for crypto? Well, we already know that proof of work is extremely energy intensive. Um and I do think we're going to start seeing more and more regulation coming down the pipe um, based on that. Right. So we That's saw amazing. this uh, last year. I think it was in Kazakhstan. You had a whole bunch. So so China bans mining. whole bunch of the miners move over to Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan welcomes them with open arms. Within a short amount of time, Kazakhstan's like, hey, we need this power a hell of a, hell of a lot more than you guys with your magic Internet money need this power. Um, and it's kind of a hard, I mean, you know, the, I, I've read some great pieces on, you know, the fact that uh, bringing Bitcoin mining or proof of work mining operations um, can help stabilize a power grid. That's all well and good. That's all well and good until homes start getting shut off and hospitals are having a hard time getting electricity, right? Like, like these things are, are real life consequences and and the faith in um, uh, uh, securing a blockchain starts to die off pretty quick, right? When, when you're the leader of a country and you need to, you want to keep your, you know, subjects, for lack of better words, from rebelling against you and coming after you with pitchforks, you got to keep the lights turned on. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing more and more regulation um, in the name of climate change. Yeah. Um, and this is one of the things this is going to do and is already doing is creating a black market for um, Bitcoin miners. Uh, I came across an article this week um, in Malaysia. They uh, was um, the country's electric utility company is proposing new means to tackle the problem of energy theft. And uh, apparently they have had illegal electricity connections of 7,209 cases in 2021, up from 610 in 2018. So, and they're, and they're putting out numbers like 550 million in electricity stolen. Now, that doesn't matter as long as there's enough fuel to keep the electricity needs up of everyone that still wants it, right? I mean... Yes, they, they need to keep people from stealing electricity. I, I can agree with that. 
But it's if people are stealing electricity and other people are going without, then it becomes a problem. And then you start getting public support for not having people running Bitcoin miners. Yeah. Um, so I, I personally think it's going to be energy and, uh, you know, energy and um, power client, you know, it's going to be wrapped up in this, uh, you know, whether you want to call it the green agenda or whatever. And that's, that's going to face some serious problems. And it'll be very interesting to see where the, you know, how the networks respond to that, how the price action responds to that. Now, maximalists will point to the fact that China's basically banned Bitcoin every year for the past seven years or something, and it didn't really affect the price. And and I agree with that. But we are seeing uh, nations in lockstep as far as when they get ban happy, right? So there's there's a centralization of some sort occurring when it comes to messaging and narratives among governments. We saw that with um, all the governments parroting the Build Back Better narrative, um, not that long ago. Now, a lot of the nations have kind of realized that, oh, people, you know, people on the Internet with tinfoil hats are starting to realize <laughs> that we're all saying the same thing. Maybe we should change it up a little bit. And maybe not everyone is a, you know, mouth breathing troglodyte that, you know, can't uh, doesn't know how to use utensils when they eat. So, you know, it, it's it'll be interesting to see. I personally think that's going to be one of the uh, next um one of the next things we really need to watch out for. Yeah, I, for sure. I'm not saying it's going it, to, you know, it may make Bitcoin price spike to the moon, right? If you've only got, <laughs> if you've only got 15, uh, 15 miners online and one of them happens to be on a SpaceX rocket, right? Who knows, <laughs> who knows what that does to the, uh, to the network. But, um, so anyway, yeah, man, that's, uh, that's, that's the big things I'm kind of watching this week. I know it's kind of like a high minded. I, I went probably a little longer than I, I was meaning to, but, uh, yeah, it's the, the lockstep approach of private actors with government sanctions. And maybe that's not affecting crypto big time right, right now. It's just the exchanges. Yeah. But what does that mean for the next? You know, when we have that next "quote unquote" crisis, and crypto is in the crosshairs, right? I think we all know that we're on borrowed time with this economy anyway. Crypto is going to make an excellent scapegoat for a lot of politicians, um, and it's it's that scapegoating that that kind of uh, concerns me, right? Because yeah, what is you know the second you start seeing a massive market sell off, and then all of a sudden. You get the SEC announcing that they're putting out arrest warrants for, you know, some stablecoin issuer out there. Uh, you know, then it's really easy for all fingers to get pointed at one or two people when it's, you know, it's the entire system that that allowed for these problems and the massive money printing of the Federal Reserve that allowed for these problems. But it's very unlikely that the people in power are ever going to accept responsibility for the mess they've created. So, so anyway, there's my, there's my happy uh, news <laughs> for the week. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Daniel. Uh, but if I, if I just, if I'm looking at next week, um, I think it's probably actually going to be one of the key weeks for Bitcoin. 
it does need to show um, some strength above 36k. Or I do believe we could see new lows, probably lower than 30k. And I, I'm not. I, am I calling for this? 100% not. Like I'm not saying, oh my god, Bitcoin's going below 30k if it doesn't hold above 36k. But I feel like um, if there's any huge catalyst in the favor of war, then it could absolutely send Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin to these levels. Uh, like just looking at Bitcoin currently as well, there's no like aggressive buys um, in regards to like even visiting like 37k like we're not seeing like a huge push above 40k it's just seeing that small little range between 36 39 so i do want to see some more strength coming in from like the bitcoin buyers i want to see some more aggression and uh, depending on that that's where we can see the market either you know continuing up or creating new lows um now, for other large caps, uh, I really want to see how Luna acts against Bitcoin because, as I mentioned, like at the start, I feel like the strength is something we should be looking at. Like, I'm pretty sure, Daniel, um, if I remember right, uh, we both did say that Luna is now on our watch list and we're going to be picking some Luna up. So uh, I really, really am going to be looking at Luna. That's probably the main one that my eyes are on right now uh, for the large caps. Uh do you, th uh, yo Daniel? I just got a quick question for you. Uh, do you think uh, it could be one of the largest, or if not the largest, gainers uh, in regards to large caps this year? <clears throat> yeah, and, and and I I do uh, need to dive into the ecosystem a little bit more. What I have seen is that they seem to be positioning themselves uh, phenomenally well with uh, the developers as far as the amount of new projects that are being actually developed on the ecosystem, which is of course, you know, Hey, that matters, right? Um, if, if nobody's developing anything on your ecosystem, it doesn't matter. It, it can be the greatest thing in the world and it'll sit on a shelf somewhere. <laughs> um, and so I, I think, I think a Luna, I think Luna's got some legs for the long term. Um, they just seem, and I'm kind of kicking myself cause I know I heard about Luna on, uh, it was a podcast like a year and a half ago or something that, you know, I was like, oh, well, I'll keep an eye on it. Well, <laughs> had I invested then, like so many other things, you know, I'd, I'd be I'd be paying somebody to do this podcast right now. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I think Luna is going to have a lot stronger uh, user base than we're anticipating. I would. I'm sure I think it's probably ahead of Solano in the mar coin market cap right now. Um, let me just check that real quick. Yeah, I think it is to be fair. Um, maybe not. Is it not? Oh yeah, no. Okay. So yeah. So, so Luna is number seven. Solana is number eight. Yeah. I, I would imagine that is going to continue to, uh, um, Move uh, I think they're going to continue to distance themselves uh, from themselves and Cardano. I know Cardano does have a very, very rabid uh, user base <laughs> as far as the, the people that will hunt people down for speaking FUD against the great Charles. Um, you know, but, but yeah, Terra, Terra just, it's, it's hard to ignore the, the development activity that's, that's happening on there. So I, I think they're definitely getting added to the, uh, uh, the portfolio. Yeah, definitely. Um, and Daniel, you know, like uh, what you said from like the news part. So uh, regards to mid caps, uh, XMR, 
uh, is on my watch list now because I do want to be researching into uh, privacy tokens um, because I think a lot of people are sleeping on uh, the privacy coins. Um, uh, XMR and uh, ZK Panther protocol, um, those two are the ones that you mentioned and that's literally um, the ones, the main two I'm looking at because I think uh, those, those are uh, probably the two strongest privacy tokens in regards to like the way they've positioned themselves as well. Uh, yeah, and XMR has held up. I mean, they're, they're you know everyone is a slave to Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Um, but they the, the price action has actually held up rather well. XMR, one of the you know, and and there's a there is some some great uh, like YouTubers or podcasters. Monero uh, um, Mateo is one of them that I've listened to, and it's it's he is all privacy coins all the time. Um, and he's had a couple great interviews with some of the uh, developers of Monero. Um, if even if you're not in it for the price action, man, if you just want to get blown away as far as the technology and the game theory that is incorporated, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, I don't know as much about uh, Panther Protocol. Uh, Haven is Haven is a, a fork of Monero. Um, Haven's got some really cool, uh, features as well, as far as, um, trying to become the first <laughs> basically offshore crypto account is, is kind of what they, they, uh, call themselves as, but, but yeah, Mon- Monero's a, uh, a rabbit hole. That's a lot of fun to jump into. And, and certainly the user base of Monero is, is, um, let's say passionate, but it's, it's, uh, very idealistic, right? So it's, it's not just, you know, these guys aren't, uh, just XMR fanboys because they want to get rich. These guys really believe that, uh, what you do with your money is your business and not anyone else's. And, yeah. and that's one of their driving, um, you know, their driving philosophies. So, so yeah, I, I'm, I would definitely keep an eye on those guys. Yeah, I think you've some, summed up those privacy coins quite well, Daniel. And uh, market-wise, uh, I do expect like uh, a lot of these mid-caps to strongly uh, correlate with Bitcoin, like we've seen these past weeks. Um, I think if Bitcoin holds 37k on the next weekly close, then um, the following few weeks can be more bullish. But what do I think? Uh, I feel like if we do see uh, DXY um, pierce through the 99 uh, resistance points that it currently has, then I'll fit bearish for the next few weeks. So that's definitely a point that I'm watching because after um, 99 uh, for DXY, uh, it doesn't have any resistance for quite a while. So if it, if it does get through there, um, I'll, I'll be quite bearish for quite a while, Daniel. And um, low caps. Well, now this week, I'm only going to uh, mention one coin that I'm extremely bullish on. And you know how we were talking about Luna? Well, how about Daniel, if I told you there was another low cap that has been moving like Luna these past few months that is under a lot of people's radars? I will probably attempt to uh, act on it better than I acted on Luna, which is not (laughs) at all. Yeah, it's called eMoney and the ticker is NGM. Uh, Now this coin, it hasn't run like crazy. And I think the market cap is only around like 20, 25 million. But uh, it hasn't lost its value like crazy like uh, other coins. Like... um, even like large caps, they've lost like 50, uh, if not more percent of like the entire value from the all time high. Well, this coin 
I don't think it's that down from its all-time high compared to other low caps as well. Um, uh, and also, uh, TA-wise, this coin, it's been creating continuous higher highs and higher lows on uh, the higher timeframes. Now, uh, Daniel, you remember when you said proof of work um, is energy intensive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, that also, uh, proof of work uh, isn't uh, great for institutions as well. You might ask why. Uh, well, it's because there's no uh, finality and uh, no decision um, to proof of work tokens, which have a high probability. Uh, like it doesn't, it, there's always a probability for uh, proof of work tokens and there's no like actual uh, confirmation of a transaction going through or not. And so these institutions don't want this. They want instant finality. And that's where e-money comes into play. I do, uh, I do believe that this is something that, um, a lot of these institutions will start turning uh, their faces to when they realize that, oh, hey, we don't want, um, to send a transaction through something that could just er reverse the transaction. If we have something that does it instantly, um, and with low fees, with like a limitless amount, uh, that you can send, then that, that's the solution they're going to use because they just want everything to be efficient and fast. Oh, so, so these guys have uh, like, are is it is it more of a uh, uh, say say a security concern like no fifty one percent attacks or yeah, so it's just like it's a uh, fixed fees and it's super fast, like it's instant, like there's okay. no it, like it doesn't need to be confirmed, like it's okay. it's 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 one hundred percent like going through every time. Whereas All right, that, we're gonna have to check that out. Yeah, like, you know, like with Ethereum and stuff like that, you don't know if the transaction's going to go through. Like, sometimes it gets cancelled. Yeah, with, with after this. you've paid fees, which is awesome. Yeah, that's, yeah. And uh, apart from that, uh, uh, for a low cap to have relative strength against BTC, uh, to me, it speaks uh, volumes. It shows that these holders know what they are holding and buying these dips to accumulate this coin. But... I think, I think, yeah, this is, this is one that I'm definitely going to start accumulating over the next uh, few weeks because, uh, it's one of the only low caps, if not the only low cap that I've seen have insane strength against Bitcoin. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that sounds good. So, uh, all right. Any, anything else we want to hit before we, uh, scoot out of here, Kazi? No, I think, uh, that's, that's everything. All right, everyone. Well, thank you once again for joining us on the Young Buck and Old Goat podcast. Again, please subscribe and give us that five-star rating so we can reach more people out there. And uh, throughout the week, Kazi, where can people follow you and the trades you make? Uh, thank you, Danny. Uh, yeah, you can follow me uh, throughout the week at patreon.com forward slash CryptoKazi. And I'm on Twitter at TheCryptoKazi. All right, excellent. And you can follow me on Twitter at Old Goat Crypto. And thank you again, everybody. We will see you next week on the Young Buck and Old Goat Podcast. Bye, everyone.